All right, we are drawing to a conclusion in our study of our book, From the Garden of Eden to the Glory of Heaven, and we are moving now into chapter 15. And you'll notice the title of chapter 15 is From Faith to Sight. And the verse that heads the chapter is, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And so we see there that the substance of this chapter is how all the promises that were made in the covenants are ultimately going to be brought to complete fulfillment and total conclusion at the end of God's dealings with humanity. And so what this chapter is about is about the ultimate fulfillment of the new covenant. Now, the new covenant has been established 2,000 years ago. Uh, it's been fulfilled in many respects during those 2,000 years in millions and millions of people's lives in that they've been saved, they've been sanctified, and they've been glorified. Uh, however, the full application of all of the blessings of the new covenant is not yet, even though already we see many of the fulfillments of it breaking through to us right now. And so um, it's kind of like um, if uh, somebody um, gives you a gift and they say, well, I'm going to give you, uh, starting out, uh, I'm going to give you a million dollars, they say, and I'll start out and give you $100,000, and then every year I'll give you $10,000, and then right at the end of your life I'll give you the balance. Okay, and that's kind of how salvation is. We receive the initial down payment of salvation in regeneration and justification and adoption. And then we have uh, more of the blessings and benefit and power of salvation metered out to us during our lives in the process of sanctification as we grow in wisdom uh, and in knowledge of the things of God and in uh, experience and um, in growth. And then, of course, at the end, God delivers what he has not yet uh, provided us with in, in terms of, of glorification. But even then, he's not done. Because while our spirits are made perfect and they're in heaven, uh, our bodies are still in the grave. And so salvation is still not fully applied. And salvation will only be fully applied when the resurrection occurs at the second coming of Christ. And then the new heavens and the new earth are brought into being at that same time. And that's when ultimately the glory of heaven will be completely achieved and there will be a complete restoration of all that was lost in the Garden of Eden. Because what do we have in the Garden of Eden? We have perfect souls, perfect bodies, and a perfect world. And a redemption that accomplishes anything less than that is a failure. It didn't get the job done, right? And that's why there's going to be a complete restoration of our souls, complete restoration of our bodies, and a complete restoration so that the new heavens and new earth will be the Garden of Eden restored. And all that originally was there. And then intensified in the sense that uh, Adam was on probation. And had he uh, obeyed God, he would have been confirmed in that state of righteousness and stayed in it for eternity and not been tested again. Uh, however, we know he failed. The second Adam, 
the last Adam, I should say, Jesus Christ came and uh, he did what Adam failed to do. He resisted the temptation of Satan. He obtained a perfect righteousness by a perfect obedience. He atoned for all of our sins and by that means uh, won back all that was lost in the fall. And uh, though he won it all back uh, 2,000 years ago, uh, the actual implementation of that victory in terms of the outpouring of its benefits and blessings is um, something that God has chosen to meter out in a process over a period of time. And so that's what this chapter is about. And so Jesus' earthly ministry inaugurates the fulfillment of the new covenant. And the fulfillment of the new covenant begins by going all the way back to Genesis 3.15 when God said, I'm going to send the seed of the woman and he's going to destroy the serpent and his work. Remember Genesis 3.15, I'll put enmity between uh, the seed of the woman and between thy seed and uh, you shall bruise his heel and he will crush your head. And so uh, with the coming of Jesus, what do we have but this titanic battle between Christ and Satan? Now, Satan won the first battle with Adam, right? And now uh, the last Adam comes to refight the battle and praise God, this time Satan loses. And uh, let's turn in our Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 12. And I want to I talk about that battle and what was achieved in it. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 12. <clears throat> now, the Bible makes it clear that the kingdom of God was ushered into this world through Christ's coming to earth and that his miraculous works were the declaration and the evidence that Satan was being defeated. Now notice Matthew chapter 12, beginning at verse 22. Uh, then was brought unto him, that is unto Jesus, one possessed with a demon, blind and dumb. And he healed him insomuch that the blind and the dumb both spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Is not this the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow does not cast out demons, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the demons. And Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then shall his kingdom stand? So he asks the obvious question. If, if by satanic power I'm casting out demons, then Satan's giving me power to defeat his own kingdom. He's not going to do that. No king gives his, his subjects power to defeat himself. Um, it just You don't do that. That never happens. Okay, He says... Verse 27, and if I by Beelzebub cast out demons, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. In other words, other Jews practiced exorcism from time to time successfully, apparently. And he's saying, well then, how do they cast them out? Uh, why wouldn't I be casting them out the same way they do? 
And so he says, verse 28, here's our verse. Um, But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, now notice, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. Or else, how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man? And then he will spoil his house. So if I want to go rob Kirk's house, I've got to not only get in the house, but I've got to defeat him, tie him up, and then I can go through his dresser drawers and steal all his stuff, right? But as long as he's loose, I'm not going to be able to do that because he's going to be on me, right? And so here comes Jesus into Satan's house, into this world, into his kingdom, okay? And, and, and he can't just go around taking Satan's subjects for himself while Satan's running around loose. So you first have to go in and beat up the man of the house and tie him up and subdue him and control him, and then you can have your way with his possessions. And that's exactly what Jesus did. He came and he did battle with Satan. He defeated Satan. He bound Satan. And Satan, now being bound and defeated by Jesus, Jesus has free run of his kingdom, which is the kingdom of this world. And uh, what's he doing? He's taking everything he wants. Any, any person that he wants to save, uh, he just takes them away from Satan and saves them and brings them out of Satan's house into his house. That's what you do when you steal stuff, right? Take it out of other people's house and, and you bring it into, into your house. Now, Jesus isn't a thief, okay? He's liberating people uh, from a wicked, cruel, evil, wretched tyrant, okay? But the point is, is that the miraculous works of Jesus um, especially um, declared the fact that the kingdom of God, that is the rule, the authority of God was beginning to break into Satan's kingdom and start to manifest itself. And so up until this point in time, Satan had free run of the world. Um, He basically ran it and owned it and had rights to it. Uh, But Jesus comes and he uh, brings God's rule into Satan's rule and begins to set up an outpost there. Now, you all know about Cuba, right? Communist nation. But what do we have on the tip of Cuba? Guantanamo Bay, right? A 70-acre outpost of America on that foreign soil. And it's a big thorn in the side of Fidel Castro and all his minions. Um, and that's basically what Jesus did, is, is he invaded part of Satan's kingdom and established an outpost, and he keeps expanding the borders of it, and it keeps getting bigger and bigger. Uh, imagine if, if instead of, I, what do we got down there, 70 acres or 220 acres or something like that, Um, Imagine we just kept moving the fence back. (laughs) And by now we'd like have half the island, right? Just keep moving the fence. Um, That's what Jesus is doing, okay? And the way he's done it is by rendering opposition impotent. So um, Satan is bound. He can't do anything. And so what Jesus is doing is he's beginning by his coming to reverse the effects of the fall. What were the effects of the fall? Satan uh, had control over everyone. Jesus comes. He begins to break that control. He begins to push back uh, the, the boundaries of Satan's kingdom. He begins to expand his. 
And what, what do we see happening? The blind see, the lame are healed, uh, the deaf hear, the mute speak, the dead were raised. What is all that? All of that is a reversal of the effects of the fall. Because uh, what did the fall cause? Sickness and death, right? And that's why you see Jesus doing tons and tons and tons of healings to show that he has come to defeat and overcome and has the power to defeat and overcome the effects of the fall. And that's why he did all those miracles is to show the power of the kingdom of God to defeat the power of the kingdom of Satan because Satan comes not for what? For to kill and steal and destroy. And Jesus has come that they might have life. And so we see him bringing life to death, uh, both in terms of the healings, uh, which were a reversal of a partial death, and in terms of the resurrections, which were a reversal of the totality of death. And so what we can say is 2,000 years ago, the kingdom of God came, was established, and is here. Now, is it here in all the fullness that it's going to have someday? Absolutely not. But what's been going on the last 2,000 years has been the growth and the expansion of this kingdom. And the major evidence for the binding of Satan and the defeat of his kingdom and the advancement of the kingdom of God is the fact that the gospel is going into the whole world. Now, if you know your Bible at all, you know that for the first 4,000 years of human history, the gospel was pretty much confined to Palestine. Okay? Um, people in Japan never heard of it. People in Africa basically didn't hear of it much. Um, and so uh, there were a few tiny missionary efforts. Jonah went to Nineveh, right? Just a little ways away, but virtually nothing. Uh, why? Because the whole world lay in the arms of the wicked one. And, uh, and yet with the coming of Jesus, remember he says, I will build my church. I will build my kingdom. The church is the kingdom. And so what has happened is the kingdom broke out of Israel and it started to spread. And, you know, first it went north to uh, Antioch, and then it went uh, east to, uh, I mean, west, pardon me, to uh, uh, Turkey, and then to Rome, and to Spain. And as Jesus said, you know, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So what do we see? We see the kingdom of God being manifested more and more and in a greater and greater way. And so the cross and the resurrection led to the fulfillment of all of God's promises made through the scripture, beginning with the spreading of the gospel over the earth and culminating in the recreation and the restoration of this world and the heavens in the end when Jesus Christ comes back the second time. Now, of course, the way in which Jesus accomplished this victory over Satan was through the cross. Um, Let's turn to the book of Colossians. And we're going to look at Colossians chapter 2. We'll start out at verse 13. <clears throat> 
The Colossians, of course, were Gentiles. And uh, he was speaking to them about their salvation. Colossians 2.13, he says, And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, has he, that is God the Father, quickened together with him, that is made alive together with him, that is with Jesus Christ. So we were dead. God the Father made us alive by joining us together with his son Jesus. What's the result? Verse 13, having forgiven you all trespasses. On what grounds? Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. So the the list of charges against us were taken away from us, given to Jesus, nailed to his cross, and he paid for all of those sins that were on the scroll which we had committed. Okay? Verse 15, with what result? And having spoiled principalities and powers. Now, whenever you run across this phrase, principalities and powers, it's a reference to either good angels or bad angels. Okay? It's always a reference to the angelic realm. Okay? And so what he's saying here is that he spoiled principalities and powers, that is, demonic, angelic forces, and made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. In what? In the cross. He triumphed over them in the cross. Okay? Verse 15, nailing it to his cross, triumphing over them in it, that is, in the cross. So we see here that it was through his death on the cross that Jesus defeated uh, Satan and all of his forces. And that's the reason why he could come and he could command the demons and they had to obey him because his defeat of them was absolutely certain and sure. Now, a more extended description of this process that's summarized in Colossians chapter 2 is found in Revelation chapter 12. So let's turn to the book of Revelation chapter 12. In Revelation chapter 12, beginning at verse 1, It says, and there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and upon her head, a crown of 12 stars. Now, this woman, of course, is Israel, the 12 stars of the 12 tribes of Israel. And in particular, it's a woman in Israel, namely Mary. Okay. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth, and pain to be delivered. Now, did Mary have an easy delivery? She wasn't exempt from the effects of the fall just because she was having the Son of God. The Catholics think that she just popped him out with no pain. That's the uh, official teaching of the church. Not only was there immaculate conception, there was a painless birth. more superstition. Um, 
And she being with child cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. Um, now, of course, if, if the woman here is referring to Israel, um, Israel went through a lot of suffering nationally, historically, in bringing forth Messiah, did she not? Okay? So whether it's the nation as a whole or Mary in particular, bringing forth Messiah was no easy thing. Verse 3, And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, okay, that's Satan, having seven heads and ten horns, Seven and ten are numbers of fullness and completion. This is not a literal description, but a figurative one of his power and his intelligence. Horns are symbols of power and heads, of course, are symbols of authority and or uh, intelligence. And seven crowns upon his head and his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. Now, these stars of heaven are, are, are nothing more than the angelic host that fell with Satan, okay? And so when his tail pulls a third part of the stars of heaven, what that's saying is a third part of the created angelic host fell with Satan when he fell. Two-thirds of them didn't fall. A third of them did fall. Elsewhere, the word stars uh, are used for angels, and he did cast them to the earth, and a dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. So who did the dragon inhabit? Herod, right? He stood before the woman, namely Mary, waiting to kill Jesus as soon as he is born. You remember he told the wise men, go and, and find out where he is and come and bring me word that I may go worship him. Ha, 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 ha. So that I may kill him, right? And so when, of course... Uh, Joseph and Mary escaped to Egypt and the wise men escaped another way. You remember Herod was so furious. What did he do? He killed all the children two years old and under in Bethlehem and all the borders of that area. Okay. So here's, here's a description of Herod. Uh, indwelt by Satan and driven by him. <clears throat> and verse 5, And she brought forth a man-child, that's Jesus, who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. That's a direct reference to Psalm 2, when God says, Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. Ask of me, and I will give thee the nations for thine inheritance. Thou shalt rule them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them to pieces as a potter's vessel. You remember Psalm 2, right? So this is a reference to Jesus. What's he going to do? Rule all nations. What, what does a ruler have? A ruler has a kingdom, doesn't he? How far is that kingdom going to extend? Over the whole earth, all nations. All right? And then it says, And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And that speaks of his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension when he ascended to the throne, which is where he is right now. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared of God that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and three score days. Now, I don't have a clue as to what the thousand two hundred and three score days refers to. I have yet to be enlightened as to what that means. However, when it says the woman fled into the wilderness, uh, what that simply means is that um, the disciples had to go into hiding. Here, the woman, okay, is not just Mary, obviously, but um, Israel. And um, she has to flee from what? Persecution. And so uh, the church fled from Jerusalem, as you recall, and 
It said they, they were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose around Stephen and went everywhere preaching the gospel. And they did it for um, a long time. God sustains them. 1,203 score days, whatever that is. And there was war in heaven. Okay, now the ascended Christ is in heaven. Well, who else is in heaven? From Job chapter 1? Satan is, right? He appears in heaven before God. God says, where have you been? And he says, well, walking to and fro in the earth and up and down in it. And God says, have you beheld my servant Job? Uh, you know, an upright and, and a godly man, one who hates evil and, and practices righteousness. And Satan, up until the time of the coming of Christ, had access to heaven. However, now that the ascended Christ is in heaven, uh, there's going to be uh, a little argument about that. It says, and there was war in heaven, and Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceives the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. No longer does the accuser of our brethren appear before the throne of God. The accusations are done. And he is done. He's been cast out of heaven and he no longer has the access he had in Job 1. And so, <clears throat> um, uh, what we see here is that um, uh, through the power of Christ uh, in his victory over Satan, Satan is now uh, cast out. And uh, his defeat is announced, it's declared, and it begins to be implemented. And once again, the defeat of Satan was secured at the cross, but it's implemented over the process of time, just like the application of our salvation is implemented over the process of time, and just like the expansion of the kingdom of God is implemented over the process of time. Verse 10, and, and I heard a loud voice. Um, you, you recall that Jesus said in John chapter 12, now, um, um, I have to read it to you, I can't quote it exactly. I'll just read it to you. <clears throat> um, uh, oh yeah, here it is. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. So what Jesus was doing is this Gentile came to him and wanted to see him. And he says, you know, except a grain of wheat be cast into the ground and die, you know, it abides alone. But if it is put in the ground and dies, it brings forth much fruit. And so looking forward to his death and his resurrection, he says, Satan's going to be cast out of heaven as a result of uh, my death and resurrection. And that's exactly what happened and was fulfilled as described here in Revelation 12, uh, verses, uh, verse 9. Verse 10, I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before God day and night. And so when was the kingdom of God implemented and established? When Jesus came to this earth and as a result of his death and resurrection and ascension, Satan was defeated, Satan was cast out, and the kingdom of God was established. You remember on the day of Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, okay? And thus the 
uh, inauguration of, of the, the kingdom, of, kingdom of God on earth. Um, verse 11, how did they defeat Satan? They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, his sacrificial work on the cross, and by the word of their testimony, that is, speaking of that sacrifice, and they loved not their lives to the death. Um, they were wholly dedicated to Christ. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and you that dwell in them. Why? Satan isn't there anymore. Uh, he has been completely cast out, never to appear there ever again. Can you imagine the annoyance it was to have Satan showing up in heaven to the holy angels? What indignation and hostility and, and uh, frustration there must have been? Uh, well, it isn't, he isn't there anymore. <clears throat> Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows he has but a short time. So Satan's really, really, really mad. And uh, he knows that as soon as this new covenant period is over, he's over. He's done. So what we're doing now is we've got a very angry devil here on the face of the earth. But... He's on a leash. He's bound. And uh, that's fortunate for us. Now, at the end, Revelation 20, he's going to be unbound. Man, that's going to be bad. It's going to be really bad. But right now, he's bound. Verse 13, And when the dragon saw he was cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child, that is, the church, Israel. <clears throat> And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness unto her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. Whatever that means, it means God's protection is going to be over his church while Satan's trying to ravage it. Uh, verse 15, And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. Of course, that's a flood of persecution of some kind. The earth helped the woman. The earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And that may be a reference to the Gentile nations and their laws which allow religious freedom and prevent the wholesale persecution and hatred against believers that um, Satan and his minions would like to exercise. Verse 17, And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Christ. That's how you know who the Christians are. They have a clear testimony of Christ and they keep his commandments. Satan hates them. He's after them. And so every week we read in the Voice of the Martyrs, right, about how some of Satan's people are, are seeking to devour um, some of God's people. And we experience it to a lesser degree here. Well, what do we see here? What we see is the coming and the establishment of the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ and we see the development and spread of that kingdom over the process of time. And while Satan does actively oppose it, he's bound, he's on a leash, he can only do so much. And ultimately, he will be defeated and destroyed on earth as he was in heaven at the second coming of Jesus Christ. All right, let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the fact that um, all that Jesus has purchased for us will soon be applied to us. Father, help us to be patient until then and realize that Satan is defeated and that we have a warrant to spread the kingdom and to know that he cannot stop that process. Thank you, Father, that we can now go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. 
and that Satan has not been able to hinder or stop that from occurring, and that millions have been taken out of his kingdom and brought into the kingdom of light. May millions more be brought as well through our instrumentality and that of others. In Jesus' name, amen.